Welcome to Assuming Command with Bob Horton, brought to you by Upstream ABI, a podcast where we interview thought leaders, innovators, and influencers in all areas of public service. And now, here's Bob. Thank you and welcome to Assuming Command. Today, we have a very special episode for you. Recently, Jeff Buchanan of Las Vegas Fire and Rescue and I got together for a coffee talk chat around the topic of peer support, implementation, utilization, and normalization as part of the Fire Chiefs Conference that was offered virtually. We got overwhelming reviews and feedback on this presentation, and we decided that we would adapt it for an episode of Assuming Command. In this episode, Jeff's going to speak to the roadmap around the topic of mental wellness. A copy of that roadmap is available in the show notes. So be sure to click on that, have a look, and so you get an understanding of what it is that we're talking about in that conference. This episode is going to be part one of a three-part series where we're going to focus in on mental wellness and public safety. The next two episodes after this, we will be interviewing professionals in the industry of mental health and wellness and get their perspective on where we're at today and where we're going to be in the future for public safety. Without further ado, let's join me and Jeff in our conversation around peer support. Uh, so it's great to be here, Bob. Thanks for putting this all together. It's really exciting uh, to talk about what we're going to refer to later as uh, as the most important game uh, that we play as uh, assistant chiefs, fire chiefs, and really administrators in our in our respective fire departments. Um, a little bit about myself again, Bob. Thank you for that introduction. My name is Jeff Buchanan. I started off in the fire service at, at North Las Vegas where uh, I worked to the ranks and ended there as uh, the fire chief and actually I did a stint as uh, who knew the interim city manager. I uh, went over to Clark County uh, as a deputy fire chief and um, made it over here to Las Vegas Fire and Rescue as senior deputy and, and now I'm in the privileged role to be the acting fire chief for such a great organization. Uh, couldn't be more happy about being here today to talk about this crucially important topic. Uh, shameless self-plug, peer support is extremely important to me, as I know it is to Bob. Uh, I've a- actually done quite a bit of uh, graduate work and working currently uh, on some, some research that has to do with lowering suicidality in police officers and firefighters. So it's, uh, it's very near and dear to my heart, and I'm glad to be part of the conversation. And so. Like Jeff had shared, you know, peer support programs, providing support for our emergency response personnel has been a passion project for, of ours since we've known each other, since we came in the fire service 20-some-odd years ago. Uh, the programs, uh, the, the evolution of the programs at Las Vegas Fire and Rescue occurred about 2014, after there was nearly a seven- to eight-year gap uh, between when there was a crisis intervention administrator who whose job was to sort of check in on folks that was a full-time position in the organization uh, but back then in the in the in the earlier 2000s when she was around the organization was was much smaller there were a lot you know a lot less employees to connect with the stressors were different they it wasn't quite what what we're experiencing um, certainly now The resurrection of the program occurred in about 2014, and that's when Jeff and I uh, were tag teaming a regional approach to be able to provide 
provide support. And so um, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go into the session. We've adapted this session to be a more of a, a little bit more like a dialogue uh, between Jeff and I and sharing some of these principles that we learned, that we implemented, some, some lessons learned from a Sentinel event that, that Jeff's got uh, uh, on, the, on the ground experience and, and he'll share that as we go into the presentation. So Jeff, let's go, let's just get started into what we wanna share with folks today. Uh, we've got this, this awesome roadmap, uh, a game board, if you will, uh, of such to kind of take us down the path of, of peer support. So uh, explain, explain what our, our folks are seeing, uh, how it works, and then, and then dive us right in. Sure, sure. Yeah, um, so, this is the most important game that any one of you might partake in. You know, the, the psychological, behavioral, and emotional health of our people is, is numero uno. Uh, it leads to physical health. Uh, right now, as, as you all are aware of, and starting in 2017, the first time it was ever recorded, that more firefighters and police officers, for that matter, completed suicide than died in the line of duty. We have a real issue here. We have a real issue. So what you see before you in a presentation format, um, it's not a game, but for this particular setting and how we're gonna go through this dialogue, it's the most important game, the most important game that we're gonna deal with. And, and really the, the, the way that it's, it's shaped as you, as you follow the kind of the winding roads of the shoots and ladders type board that you see, we're gonna just take you through some, some topics and, and, and go back and forth in some dialogue. And, and where this whole thing starts is in denial. Yes, I was at Route 91. Uh, it was a it was a surreal event. Obviously, it's one that will will ever be etched in in my particular memory. I was at the east side of the stage, and I had some very very uh, impacting uh, assignments that particular day, and um, it'll last with me forever. Uh, but I, I will tell you that. Uh, although that is the case for, for me personally, and I know a lot of people that were also there, it is impacting their lives to this day. It's not always the case that it's a sentinel event. Sometimes right. it's, 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 sometimes it's cumulative, right, Bob? I mean, how right. many people do you know, you know, just right as we start off this conversation that uh, maybe they haven't had uh, any, this wildly significant event but yet they're not, uh, or, or they're feeling the pain. They're feeling that I pain. I think what, what we'll do is, you know, at the start of the game board here is denial. And I think what's really important here, you know, and really the first two pieces kind of play a, a huge role together and they're very much intertwined, recognizing the problem, uh, culture, denial, uh, life imitating art. You know, um, I, mentioned, I mentioned the Route 91 event, the October 1 mass shooting. And uh, unfortunately, through catastrophe and tragic incidents, sometimes comes opportunity. And for, for Clark County, there was, they didn't have a critical uh, incident coordinator and they were able to get one back as a result of that incident. But I, I really have to uh, tip my cap to a friend of mine and my boss at that time, Greg Castle, he was the fire chief for Clark County. And I really think that he set the tone. Uh, we had been um, very much involved in building the peer support team. So it really, the timing actually worked out if you could actually say that. I'm not saying it was, it was perfectly shaped and, 
and it didn't have areas for improvement, but the foundation was there. And so we had some things that were in place, you know, going into Route 91. So we were past the denial point, which was important. Um, and, and one of the most important things, I believe, is that Greg, as fire chief, he put out a very poignant email and a very well-crafted email uh, leading from his position, talking about it's okay not to be okay. And I think that that was really, really important. Here you have a savvy veteran of 25 plus years uh, with the respect of the organization saying, hey, you know what? It's okay. It's okay if you need help, if you need to talk to someone. So I really think that he helped set the tone. But I think that one of the biggest problems in our industry is this whole notion of denial uh, and, the, and the culture that we have. And uh, frankly, it's a bunch of bunk, you know. Um, you see up on the slide that, you know, life imitating art. Who knew that any of us were going to see what we saw? And you can't get the toothpaste back up in the tube. The things that you see were only supposed to be seen in Hollywood. It was art, but now life is imitating art with graphic detail. And sometimes it isn't even about the detail. You know, everybody has their own stories. I, I think for me personally, they haven't been of graphic nature, but yet some scenes that we come on are still, still disturbing. So I think the biggest piece is moving past the denial, having the right, having the right people focusing on what is important to the organization. And that, that is leaning in, leaning into this notion of behavioral, emotional, and psychological health and, and not pretending like it, it, it doesn't exist. But uh, what have, what's been your experiences, Bob, with culture and denial and, and some of those things? And part of what we tried to incorporate at Las Vegas Fire and Rescue when we built out the peer support pr program was to ingrain a new culture. And, and, we, and it started at pre-hire. I mean, we, we, we actually had programs that were designed to, in, from all, from different, you know, legs of the stool of health and wellness to the, to the candidate before they ever became even the recruit uh, in the, in the trainee and then into the fire service. Uh, and then that, then we tried to reinforce those programs through training, uh, the training academy. We, we assigned and married a, Every recruit, probationary firefighter who graduated the academy was assigned a peer support team member and a peer fitness trainer. Uh, so, you know, when they open up that envelope and get a chance to see, well, what crew am I going to be with? Who's my captain? What shift? What station? All of that excitement. They also received an assigned peer support team member and a peer fitness trainer who was there at their recruit graduation day. When they opened it, they got to meet them and establish a relationship with that employee and that employee's family, a phone number that they could call anytime to say, you know, something doesn't feel right. But I think we all can think a little bit into our own careers in our own lives. When it's happened, it didn't go get help. I, I, you know, I tried to cover it. I masked it. I, it wasn't, I wasn't myself. I was folks, you know, were, were, uh, I, I had a, I had an officer, you know, I had a, I was frustrated, you know, on a particular day I was, I was in an acting EMS supervisor position. I'd been at a station doing whatever task was important for me to cover for that day and, you know, expressing and venting out some frustration and, and rather, you know, his reaction to that was, um, you better watch what you say. You're on a promotional list. 
And I, and then I was just increasingly more frustrated and I left that moment um, really, really disappointed and discouraged that uh, this, that was the best that a captain, a supervisor, you know, one of the most critical positions in the, in the operation didn't have the, the train. I wasn't mad at him. He didn't, you know, he didn't know better sort of mad at the system that he didn't have the right tools to say, boy, this sure seems uncharacteristic of Bob. That's, this isn't how he normally is. Something must be up. And he didn't have, uh, you know, what, what I would hope is if an officer had encountered an employee who was being uncharacteristic behavior, they would know how to connect them to resources and that their first reaction would be, I wonder if something's going on under the surface here. Let's get him connected with some help. And, and I made that my, my passion project uh, at, at Las Vegas Fire. And it was when I, when I got promoted into assistant chief and got to be part of the administration that I was tasked immediately with building um, a program. And my goal, my objective was that never again should anyone in the organization not feel like they had the right tools to point somebody in the right direction uh, towards getting some sense of help. You know, and, I, and I readily want to admit that by the time you're having these stresses and tensions and, and conflicts, either at home or at, the, at work, you're well past like the stages that we could have intervened. So we, we have a lot of opportunity in the upstream intervention and, and with a real comprehensive program that helps keep those bricks out of, out of the backpack. Yeah, you know, I, I appreciate that perspective, Bob, you know, and, you know, not having the places at work, which, 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 frankly, I think so many organizations don't have, and especially early on in our careers, you know, I found myself in a situation where, uh, like you, sometimes I needed to unload, and I would go home, and I would talk to my wife. And here I am with a situation where I'm trying to tell her, probably in more detail than I should have about a situation that bothered me. And what would happen was, was a bit strange and actually quite frustrating. She would not give me eye contact, not give me attention and say, what about the kids this? What about the kids that? I'd get frustrated and I'd fly out of the house, luckily to my safe haven, which was the gym. But what I found out some years later my wife didn't have the equipment to deal with what I was trying to unload onto her. So what I was doing actually was unfair and, and selfish and I didn't even realize it. So while we not, might not even have the, the tools at work, which we're, we're working on to hopefully to share with people, maybe at home isn't the right place either. Maybe the right spot is either a prof uh, another professional in the fire service, a peer support team member, or perhaps a, uh, a subject matter expert in psychological, behavioral, and emotional health. So making sure that the people that you're talking to uh, is the right person couldn't be more important. Uh, so have a healthy outlet. I guess there's a, there's a moral to that story. Um, but as we move from, you know, culture and, you know, some of these discussions that we're having as far as recognizing the problem, that's the first thing, you know, recognizing that there is a problem, moving towards a solution. And I know that for when I was in Clark County, you know, there was, a, there was conflict between a critical incident stress management team and, and a peer support team. So uh, ac across the country, uh, there's, you know, there's def definitely different models, but the way that it started off in Clark County was really under the guise of the notion of a critical incident stress management model under the Jeffrey Mitchell model, which is 
got a lot of uh, a lot of backing and is, is used quite widely. Uh, but for whatever the reason was in Clark County, there was some there was some resistance to that. So the team had gone through this level of training, and yet it, there was some resistance in the buy-in from the notion of the critical incident stress management because the perception was to some that hey, dude, you're not a clinician, nor was anybody trying to be, but this was kind of a cloud cast over the group that they were trying to be something that they weren't. So we went through a rebranding campaign, mm-hmm. brought everybody in. We actually did a mission and a vision statement uh, with values, and uh, we rebranded as a peer support team, which um, is just a title change, quite frankly. And, but we were really, we were trying to get buy-in from the men and women of the organization. So we built a mission, uh, you know, to be there for our own uh, with values, trust and confidentiality. You needed three criteria to be on the team that you care, that you're willing to listen, that you weren't going to judge. And so that helped us to kind of rejuvenate and, and, and kick back off, if you will, but sometimes just even under the branding. So I think that as you, as each team moves forward and you recognize that there's a problem and a cultural issue and you get the labor and the management buy-in, which is, which is huge, you need to decide on what you're going to be. You're going to be a critical incident stress management team or you're going to be a peer support team. Uh, you know, you talk about the, the qualities of the, of, the, of the person. And we, when we were building the program, uh, that was – an important question we asked ourselves and actually more importantly, a question we asked the employees. So we, we actually went out and we did a, we put together a survey of the entire workforce. What the fire chief knew uh, was that in order for a program on peer support, critical incident stress, the whole, the whole package to be successful had to be bought in by the employee group. They, they had to have a say on what it looked like and we needed to understand what was important for them uh, through, through this survey and then a facilitated workshop, not facilitated by anyone from the management team. There was a, there was a lot of distrust between labor and management at that time. And so it was important to bring in a, a neutral third party facilitator, which we had done, who, uh, who just just, you know, I hit a home run to use a baseball analogy. But what we looked at, what the question in, in particularly regards, because what we were doing was going back to hire that full-time crisis intervention administrator position. And we weren't sure. We had a lot of ideas of what we thought the right candidate might look like. But what we really needed to do was talk to the employee group. And we, and we asked the questions based on, on how, the value how important did they see the qualities of approachability, experience, education, fire and EMS experience, and then uh, privacy and confidentiality. And the, the highest pieces that were, were recognized was approachability, privacy, and confidentiality. That, that ranked on the top of the, of the survey scale. The least valued from the workforce was education. And, and meaning they didn't need to be, you know, we weren't looking for a, a, a PhD clinician to solve their problems. They were more worried about, is this somebody I'd, I'd be willing to share a story with, to talk to, 
And is this person going to keep my story to themselves? And, and, you, and you know as well as I do, that, you know, it just takes one misstep of privacy and confidentiality kills, kills the entire program uh, because this piece of trust is, is so critical. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as we, as we, you know, you talked about buy-in, which is so crucial, you know, having the labor group and the, the management group together, because there's some, listen, there's some salty dogs in there. This is, although the IAFF and the IFC sees this as a priority, frankly, there's a, there's still a lot of people among us that are in denial and they think that, you know, it, it, it attributes to weakness and, and so much of this other, which frankly is garbage, right. that uh, still is pervasive in our industry. And, and so, which leads me to kind of, you know, this in-between piece on the game board of, you know, being inclusive as far as we, uh, including retirees, we think that that was, a, that was a big piece to our puzzle. But let's talk about street cred for a minute. Mm-hmm. And it's an unfair thing, and I get it. Um, and it can be a superficial thing, but one of the most important factors, at least uh, for me, was getting the right person to carry the message forward. Yep. And that right person was exactly what I just talked about, a salty dog, someone who had the respect of the men and women of the organization, who looked the part, was the part, but was carrying the message of, hey, if it can happen to me, it can happen to you. And while that may seem superficial and it may seem generalizing, it was helpful. Yeah. It was helpful to have someone who had street credibility because we're trying to penetrate some deep seated, some very thick cement when it comes to this issue. And you need someone with a jackhammer and someone with street cred, they got the right tools. Yep. No, you, that, that's spot on. You know, this survey I was just referencing, one of the approaches, and, and I wish I could take credit for it, it wasn't my idea. I don't recall exactly whose idea it was, but I do know it wasn't mine, but I thought it was a, it was a good one. And the, and the, you know, we were thinking who to put on a peer support team, you know, as, as, as chiefs are, are listening to this presentation and they're thinking about, they want, they're interested in building a program or, or revitalizing something they have. And you're looking at who to put on because, you know, you know, so-and-so from B-Shift and he is, you know, this, that, and, you know, and there's all of this sort of chatter. I, I, I didn't mean to pick on B-Shift. I think that is a thing, but it, it, I guess I could have chosen A. Um, anyway, the, the, uh, there's, People have something to give, you know, sort of regardless of what other people's perception of them were. And we were trying to navigate around this, you know, oh, I would never talk to so-and-so if they were on the team, you know, but someone else would, you know. And so we, we, we really just struggled. And the Las Vegas Fire and Rescue at the time was about 700 employees, about 500 of them were, were line personnel, a little bit larger now. Uh, the, that's a lot of people to try to figure this puzzle out, but you captured something that was really important. Uh, a tenured employee that was well-respected. And so the person who made the suggestion, what we did in the survey was nominate somebody. Who do you think would, should be on the peer support team? And what we found was there was probably about a half a dozen or so who fit the mold of trusted across the the organization and it was a it was a bit of a, a long shot to wonder how that was going to work and our approach then was 
to go to those folks and say, you've been sort of selected by your peers to serve in this role. Are you willing to do, because it's a heavy role. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I just don't think anyone should raise their hand and say, yeah, I'll do peer support. Like it's heavy. And, and we've worked on, you know, you and I've worked on together, you know, how do you provide support to the people providing support? Because that is a very important layer. Um, but we had, we had success with that model, I guess, is what I'm going at. And I don't know how generalizable that would be to cross all organizations, but we do know it worked at Las Vegas Fire and Rescue at that time, uh, that we were able to go approach these, these half dozen or so folks. And it wasn't the only way we got people, but we definitely got that initial buy-in and support because we had the right people carrying the message. Yeah, I think that's important. And, you know, again, to use this, inclusive means a lot of different things. You know, it, 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 it certainly means uh, men and women. It certainly means uh, different ethnicities. But it, it also means different groups, uh, people that think differently. It's, it's a very, very complex, I believe, and sophisticated word that's very meaningful. And in this case, you know, I think inclusive means all of those, but including people that are active, duty, and inactive. You know, using retirees, we believe, was a, was a real important step in the right direction. Number one, it got our retirees engaged. We have so many men and women that retire and uh, right, wrong, or indifferent or, are lost, and they still want to be part of the organization. They give, this gives them that outlet, yep. which is pretty cool. Uh, and, and they're able to kind of share their experiences with a generation that is now coming in behind them and share a lot of the problems that they experienced because for them, many of them were the salty dogs and many of them were the ones that wouldn't uh, be flexible and, and change. And now here they are in retirement, seeing the full picture. So their perspective has been really, really valuable. So, yeah. you know, I would, I, I mean, I don't know if you came into that experience as well, but but stretching into retirees and actually even using, you know, we, we fall into this trap. We fall into this trap, especially, you know, for organizations, you know, like, like Las Vegas Fire and Rescue, we have dispatchers. It's not just the firefighters, not just the men and women that are out there on the streets that are experiencing these traumatic incidents. But frankly, Bob, you and I can still experience a traumatic incident through someone else. The dispatchers can. So it's about, being inclusive in this group too, to make sure that when we're gonna put a healing touch on someone or offer that support, it's not just to the firefighters. So, um, which, which I think, you know, really leads us into, uh, you know, kind of our next topic of discussion. And that's the initial and ongoing training, you know, super like who's getting the training, what's the training look like? And, you know, for, for us, you know, or at least when, when I, I've gone through, you know, several different iterations and I know, I know um, there was a lot of kind of multi-agency input, you know, a, a nice structured sound kind of baseline was the Jeffrey Mitchell model, which um, I enjoyed that training. And I know that uh, we had people that were sent through, Angela went through it as, as well. She actually, I think she's a train the trainer now. Um, so I, I think picking that, that fundamental or foundational training is, is, is really, really crucial. You know, as you identify and pick your team and how, um, what that's going to look like, I think having that, that training is, is key. 
and then having, uh, you know, ongoing training. And there's, so, there's such a wide variety of options, you know. I, I guess the, the, the lesson or the takeaway in this area is make sure that you have a training platform that's out there, you know, one that's foundational, one that's ongoing, and then just keep your, your, keep your, eyes, and your eyes open and your, your willingness to, to listen there and look for, for training because that, that, you know, that's a struggle and it's still a struggle. It's a struggle for us here in Las Vegas fire and rescue. I know it's a struggle, you know, regionally, you know, what is the right training? Um, you know, what goes to all staff training? What goes to supervisory training? Uh, we're getting ready right now here at Las Vegas fire and rescue to put on um, some supervisory training and what that will look like. And that's for all supervisors, supervisors. And, you know, I, here we want to make sure that our supervisor of our mechanics has the ability to look for for indicators and things right because as we mentioned it's not just firefighters that are going through some stressors um certainly the firefighters are but we're trying to give the, the this is a tool for all supervisors to use so we're going to be giving you know some some psychological emotional behavioral health kind of indicator training for, for supervisors so that they have a couple of tools in their, in their tool belt. And we think that that's gonna be really meaningful. Um, it's gonna be delivered by the, the wife of a deputy chief uh, here in the Valley. Uh, she did, uh, she built training for one of the other agencies. And, and, and frankly, I, I tapped her on the shoulder again to say, hey, can you uh, reshape that and, and deliver it here at Las Vegas Fire and Rescue? I think it's gonna be really, really meaningful. Um, have some other contacts in the, in the industry, you know, looking to, to come here, but it's, it's really just about uh, staying at it, being persistent, um, using all your resources, but, but training and getting the right people trained, getting all the people trained in certain areas is important. And, and, and what, what's, what's, what's it been like over there for you, Bob? Like, how have you tackled that? Yeah, the, you know, one of the, what I think one of the inherent challenges we're facing as fire chiefs in this industry is the, you know, the, the sort of increased hours of mandatory compliance training, no matter what it, you know, whatever it is, you know, EMS hours tend to, to you know, are trending uh, up, you need more of this, that, and the other, uh, the other compliance training. And so you start to crowd out what has been kind of identified as, as discretionary training and things that are more or more soft skills or nice to haves and stuff like this that doesn't meet mandatory requirements for certification. And so there's only so many hours, you know, energy hours, if you will, in a, in a collective day, year, cert cycle to commit to training. And so uh, this is one of the things I think we need to to really press as our chiefs associations get together as our regional training coordinators who are hopefully, you know, attentive to this presentation as well is, you know, where, you know, how do we influence and, and, and I'm excited to, to be part of this and I know Jeff, you would as well to ensure that in these in these mandatory trainings that we prioritize peer support, you know, mental health resiliency, all of these, these pieces that you just got done talking about as training programs uh, are required, are part of that, that, that block of hours that we need for recertification. Uh, because I think in the absence of that, we're just going to struggle to be able to make, continue to make it the, we may want to feel like it's a priority, but boy, we've got to check those boxes or we don't have a, a, a fire department, you know. 
So I think that's the, the big challenge. We're, of course, a much smaller organization, so it's easier for us, you know, with, with uh, 68 employees and uh, 30 students and volunteers to be able to get everybody trained uh, quickly. You know, we're, we're much more agile from that perspective. When you're trying to roll training to 700 people, it makes it difficult. It's certainly difficult on an instructor if they're expected to do face-to-face -face time or even synchronous Zoom type activities. Uh, so we, you know, we've been able to make sure that that's uh, considered a priority here in, in our organization, but I recognize the challenge that most fire chiefs are facing, particularly municipal chiefs who've got competing budget dollars, uh, where things go to, you know, where the first, the first allocation of the budget goes to mandatory training. And I'm not sure this is, we've tipped the, the curve on this to being mandatory. Uh, what, what, in your research, are you encountering that? Or what, what's your thoughts there? About having mandatory training? About, about the, where we think, where we're sort of advocating that peer support and mental health resiliency fits on the spectrum of discretionary training or it's mandatory training, you know, in terms of what people need to be successful throughout their career. Uh, well, I, I, I can't, uh, I'd be overreaching to say in, in my research, but, um, and I'll just touch on it a little bit because I know we'll, we'll go into a little bit more depth on the, on the game board. But the reality is I think you have to, you have to, you have to sew it into the organization. Mm -hmm. You have to put it in every aspect. You got to make the call. And I, I think that that's a call we all have to make. And there's some ways to do that. Um, and, and that's driving it in places that, that maybe it isn't right now. And, you know, like I said, just to kind of give you a little bit of, uh, of, a, of a sprinkling into the future on the game board here, you know, making sure recruits, uh, recruits are getting training, uh, mm -hmm. making sure that it's uh, um, in your officer candidate school, it's in your leadership training, um, it's in your promotional process. We just did that here in Las Vegas Fire and Rescue, weaving it into your promotional process. That's, where, that. that's where you can really align your actions with your words to say, yep, this is important because if you don't know it, you don't understand it, then you're not going to be successful in the, in the organization. So I, I definitely think that, um, but it's a struggle though, right? It's a, it, it, you're hitting it on the head, Bob. I mean, it, we, we have to do it, but you know, time is the one commodity. None of us can, can change. We can never get more. It's a, it, we all struggle with it. And there's, we have so many things to train on. And this is one more additive to that. And so basically it comes down to, okay, what's missed? Now here's where it gets scary. Really what should happen is what we do the least is firefighting. But that's a scary notion. Even though we're dealing with psychological, emotional, behavioral trauma more, what is the priority? Right. Well, that's left up to the agencies, but we know that's a very controversial topic. God forbid, God forbid that you would slim down training in an area that is much more fun and certainly important. Clearly, we're all firefighters. I get that. But you know what I'm saying. Right. You understand what I'm saying. I mean, the smallest piece to our puzzle is actually that and the psychological impact on everyone is much more prevalent, yet that tends to be the training that gets, gets set aside. Um, you know, as, as we, 
as we move forward and, you know, as, as we, as we come and around the bend here, you know, you, after you get the training, you know, one of the things we found was building an SOP to give some, uh, some, some shape to what the, the deployment looks like, you know, and, and that's, that's part of some of the training that we're going to be looking at here at Las Vegas fire and rescue is okay. You know, first supervisors need to know what are some of the calls that I should be, you know, considerate of and uh, to do a check-in, if you will. And uh, I think, Bob, you are going to be sending out that um, template of that SOP, right? That's right. It's in, yep, it's in the handout section. Okay, great. So, so really what that, the, in that SOP, what, what you do is now your supervisors or your employees have an idea of, okay, here are some calls that fit into this category. And now your supervisors, after they're trained, now they can systematically, thoughtfully feel out the crew and they can figure out what comes next and they can figure out, do I deploy the peer support team? And then it's, what does that look like? And, and what I would advocate for, and I know here at Las Vegas Fire and Rescue, we offer the same thing is uh, for me, everything comes back to food. So let's use the menu kind of cliche. Bob, you know how much I love food. I do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we use a menu cliche, you know, on telestaff, you know, I want a Bob Horton. Jeff, nah, not so much. You see who's available on that day and you menu select. You know, I've been inspired uh, as a deputy chief to be called out. People wanted, wanted me out there. And I got to tell you, that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. That was pretty cool uh, and very humbling very humbling to, to be called out uh, to give peer support in, in that regard. But I think giving the men and women their choice of, and this kind of goes back to earlier in our presentation here about, yeah, I wouldn't talk to so-and-so, but somebody else might, you know, you just don't know who's going to be able to connect the dot. And as I, you know, the, the one last piece kind of in this section that found there's, uh, I, I found there are a lot of benefit is using the WhatsApp. Moving communication, you know, for, a, for a, a terrible call or for a moment when someone's in need can be really, really difficult. And WhatsApp is this application on our phone. It's like a group text, mm -hmm. but it, you, it goes over Wi-Fi and it's, uh, I found it to be very effective. It's like group me, there's, there's other platforms that are out there, but you know, one of the suggestions I would have for every, every team is to get a, you know, it's to download WhatsApp so they can communicate. So then when there's a call, what, 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 what I found in my experience is you have 30, however many people on your peer support team now are hawking the, the radios they're at. They're actually on shift and they're saying, hey, there was a PD code. Uh, you know, station one ran a PD code. Is anybody checked in with them? So you can kind of start the, the signaling to, to people to, to pick up the phone, call, get in, get in touch with the battalion chief. So um, really the next pieces to the puzzle after you get that training is to get some shape in an SOP or an SOG, whatever your, whatever your organization is using and figure out the deployment and uh, you know, see what that looks like. And, and, and we're Bob, from, from your standpoint, how, how has the absence of a deployment or an SOP or a way to connect 
with the peer support team members? How, is, how have you found that experience? You know, I, I, I found here that folks are, you know, they had peer support in place long before I had gotten here. Uh, I think that there's an inherent, um, a feel good, I, I, that's not the right terminology, a, uh, a, you know, a, a safety net that the organization feels by just knowing there are resources. It doesn't necessarily mean they're tapping the resource on the shoulder as frequent as maybe I think, you know, that, that they, that maybe we ought to. And, uh, but people feel better knowing there is something in the, in the sphere. In our, in our organization, they're, they're very close knit community. It's a very tight community feel. And they, there's a, a, a greater tendency as a result of that for, for them to be checked in on each other um, as, as much um, as they can. Uh, we've adapted some of the, the policy that we've used for at least incident notification that we built in the dispatch environment in Las Vegas to here to connect our program leads. We have a very, very robust chaplains program in Southern Oregon. The Rogue Valley Chaplains Association does an extraordinary job, very attentive to events, incidents that are, that are going on. They don't capture, you know, right away the, uh, the life challenges folks are having because that's not as salient to them, uh, but it's brought to their attention. Uh, our, our chaplain for Fire District 3 makes routine visits to the fire station. I mean, he's, he's in, in the stations regularly, you know, connecting with crews. Uh, I, but I'm, I'm the robust, you know, our, our, you know we're, we're four engines staffed career every day. If there's a PD code in Eagle Point, everyone in the Valley knows about it. And there's, there's sort of a constant, we're, you know, we're not at a volume that's so great that, that there can't be that kind of support, you know, routinely. So we're, I'm fortunate enough that because we're still small enough and there's some great advantages to this environment that uh, it's, it's much easier to be attentive uh, and, and aware of what's going on. Yeah, definitely some advantages to a uh, smaller community, but I, you know, I'll tell you, and you do a great job of, of demonstrating your humility. It's no, it's no, um, lesser of a lift i mean the the reality is the agility that you have in a smaller organization services to be uh, quite challenging in, in other areas where uh where a large organization might not experience but um you know as as as, as you get the the program off the ground you have this deployment you know really the next phase perhaps recrafting the name mm -hmm. and um you know, this kind of critical incident, you know, crisis intervention. It's just like, uh, yeah. you know, it, it, it's really more than that. It's not just crisis, you know, these, the peer support, it's, it's supportive. It should be, uh, it could be proactive and not reactive, you know, and she, she really, uh, and, and, and there's a push, but as you know, sometimes the bureaucracy of government pre prevents that, but we're, we're really, really exploring changing to a psychological fitness or yeah you know what i mean really looking at that health side of things you know and and really that fitness side of things you know we we all look at physical fitness and we understand what that is very easily um but sometimes we hmm, when it comes to psychological emotional behavioral fitness and and if you are that if you are fortunate to to have that room in your budget to get that it's a smart move but if you can't partner up with the police agency, maybe together you can, you know, you put your noggin together with the police chief and whatever municipality you are. Um, 
if they already have one, cool. But if they don't, you can partner to, to get one. And maybe even if you can't do that, it's a regional approach. So, so every, every funding mechanism is going to be different in every region. But um, I think those are the things that you explore. You know, in Clark County, that position had gone away. Mm -hmm. And uh, fortunately, unfortunately, Route 91 occurred. And then it was, okay, well, y'all need that position back. So that was a really, really positive impact from that significant incident. You know, here at Las Vegas Fire and Rescue, prior to Route 91, that importance was viewed and, and, and Angela is, is gone and, and we're recruiting right now, right? So anybody looking for a good pick, <laughs> Las Vegas Fire and Rescue's for you. Uh, so that's my shameless plug. But, uh, you know, with, with my boss, I was like, hey, this is something we got to do ASAP yesterday. He completely saw the, the value there. So, you know, it, I think that it's important to have a shepherd, you know, inside of your organization. Angela was that for us. And uh, we look to, uh, she's not replaceable, but we look to find someone that can, you know, take us into the, take us into the future. But um, having that position and regional groups, you know, Bob, you spoke about that, right? I mean, we all have similar problems in the fire agency. I know we like to say fire burns differently in Vegas and it does in Oregon. The fact of the matter is it doesn't. Um, and a code is a code is a code. And there's ugly calls in, in Michigan. There's ugly calls in Nevada. There's ugly calls in Oregon. And, and we need to lean on each other. And uh, we need to use each other. We need to learn from each other. We need to be open-minded to each other. And so there's a pretty robust group here in Southern Nevada that meets with regularity. And, you know, those are other things that, you know, these, uh, I, I'd like to advocate for other groups to, to, to put together as, as they move forward. What's been the experience up in, in Oregon? Have you found that these partnerships and these regional groups, Bob, are, are benefiting your organization? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the one, one uh, caveat to your statement, I would say, is fire does burn different in the forest. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and I have definitely learned that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but we, you know, because we're a small organization, we look for regional collaboration at, at every step of the way. There's, there's, there's so many opportunities for us to be efficient. I uh, had just written, a, written an article in the iCheeks magazine that speaks to future of the fire service is on collaboration. So I am obviously a huge, huge uh, proponent for collaboration. And we found the same uh, here in the, in the development of our peer support team. Um, if it, you know, we know, and there's, a, there's an openness and a willingness to sort of invite somebody outside our organization to be part of a peer support effort, because we've got, you know, we only have 15 or so folks on shift in, in a day. You know, we have, across the valley about a hundred, you know, or so that might be on shift in a day. So, you know, our, our, our connectivity, our collaboration, our, our automatic aid, you know, is a, is a regular routine piece. So having, you know, peer support coordination as a region, uh, absolutely, absolutely imperative. Um, as we're starting to button up on time in, in our presentation, cover Jeff a little bit of some of the like, kind of at a high level and there and we can have you know side visits with folks who want a deeper understanding uh, the response from a peer support perspective to route 91 
and most importantly, highlighting some of the lessons learned that now as the acting fire chief at Las Vegas Fire and Rescue, you're uh, looking to, to really drive home in this next iteration of the program. Yeah, so let me, um, I'm, I'm going to finish with lessons learned and let me, let me tell you what we're, we're doing here um, at Las Vegas Fire and Rescue. And I think this kind of plays into um, this, this other piece on our game board and on, on what we're doing. So uh, one of the changes I'm going to make with the next hire, uh, the person that uh, comes in after Angela, is that person is going to report directly to me. I think that uh, that again aligns actions with words on how important it is uh, and will help me as the fire chief remove obstacles because we know that they exist. And so I think that that puts psychological, emotional, and behavioral health at the top of our organization because it means that now that individual is going to be a part of our executive team. They're going to understand finance, they're going to understand operations, they're going to understand uh, fire prevention and EMS and every aspect of our organization. It's gonna make that individual understand how important they are to every single person here at Las Vegas Fire and Rescue. So I think that that's gonna be a big piece to our puzzle. Um, it's gonna help me. I'm gonna have someone squawking in my ear, just like anybody else in, in the department saying, hey, Jeff, I, I need money for this. I need, we need to do this program. And it's gonna be extremely, extremely helpful. And it's gonna help me as the acting fire chief, hopefully the fire chief at one point, to stay focused of psychological, emotional, and behavioral health. So I think that's going to be a, a big evolution for us. Um, and, and, and I think that they will, that individual will help shape where, really where our future is going to be, being a part of our executive team. Uh, as far as lessons learned from Route 91, what was our response? Um, I can tell you that in the wee hours of the morning, um, we were making that call, and it was a difficult one. The difficult call was we had people that were on scene that night there for hours. We were coming up on shift change. I'm talking with, uh, uh, we, we, were a, we, we were a very tight group uh, over in Clark County. So I'll talk about him as, as my friend. I was uh, you know, talking to my friend Roy, who was deputy chief of ops and Kelly Blackman, who was deputy chief of support. And we were like, hmm, what do we do? Do we, do we let these men and women go home? Or do we pull them in and start this peer support process? And it may seem, because we're talking about peer support, like it was an easy decision. It was a hard one because we knew people wanted to go home, but we did it. We brought them in. We thanked them from the bottom of our hearts for what they just saw, did, experienced, and we established that we have support ready to go. And then we, we cut them loose, but we had, we had some available resources there. And then from there was an ongoing effort. Um, part of what we did, and it really wasn't peer support, but it wasn't, it was intended to protect our people. I was the PIO for, for Las Vegas uh, or for, for Clark County. And what I did was, uh, and, and Greg and I were lockstep on this. We didn't allow the media to talk to any of, any of the employees. We wanted them to have their space and, uh, we were able to protect them from that, from that, um, from that aspect. But what we did on the peer support side of things, the IFF came in, they, they brought, there was just resource upon resource upon resource that came in to, to, to really, really be there for the men and women of, of Clark County Fire. Of course, the peer support team was constantly in communication and there was a lot of missteps so too, because in the, 
in the midst of that aftermath, you have an organization to, to piece back together and the community was working together and there was a lot of technical aspects working through. There was a report and an investigation. So really keeping psychological, emotional and behavioral health on the forefront was not an easy task. And it took a, a huge team effort. I feel personally like there was a lot of strong steps. I feel personally overall, it went really well. Um, I think there was a lot of care. There was a lot of concern. There was a lot of resources that were offered. And, uh, but that's not to say that there wasn't any areas for improvement, um, which they're still working on today. So I think the, I think the biggest uh, lessons to take from Route 91 is think about it really quick on an ongoing campaign. It wasn't even over yet. You know, we had a couple hours to go on the shift and we were making the call. You know, let's get this, let's get this started. Let's make this tough decision now. And, uh, and we did it as a team. Everything was done as a team. And, and that's, what we were, that's how we were, making, they, we were making that decision. So I think that um, you have to make the decision early. You have to make a team decision, and then it's got to be it's got to be ongoing and persistent, and you have to keep those resources coming. We, I appreciate you sharing that perspective because I think you're you're absolutely right, and it was an extraordinary um, feat, task, you know, uh, accomplishment. Let's call it for you and the command team. Who's I had already moved to Oregon. That was the year I had moved to Oregon. I was about three four months removed, and man, boy, did my heart break for the community for my colleagues and friends who, who were all involved in that, yourself included. Uh, I'm so proud to know that there was this infrastructure to have something. And, you know, and that's a, like, if, no, if, if any of our viewers for this session take away anything, it's like, please, please take the effort to build something and let it grow into what works the best for you. Um, just having EAP on your insurance, I'm sorry, is not going to cut it. Like there, there is a, there's a, a much uh, a bigger lift that needs to be had. And we want this to be, you know, that, that sort of that call to action. And uh, you, you touched on it and it's something we integrated here in, in Oregon in, in two of our recent disasters. One was, you know, March when COVID-19 became a global pandemic and we built our emergency operations center for Jackson County. And I was uh, assigned as the, the branch director for fire rescue and EMS emergency response. Uh, I integrated immediately a, a, a psychological health uh, component to that. It was immediately part of our larger organizational structure. And I encourage everybody who's going to command a, a, any event, you know, of, of any scale in your community to plug that into your org chart, get somebody with some responsibility who's going to oversee that area and make sure it's integrated as part of the, the, the program. And similar to what you're uh, proposing, and I love it, this, this, re, this um, restructuring of the position, both in title and in reporting structure, is going to be a great uh, um, evolution for that iteration. The second disaster we had, this is early, this is just after Labor Day, uh, a massive, massive inferno uh, devastates the cities of Phoenix and Talent in Southern Oregon. That's the areas between Medford and Ashland. 2,500 homes, over 100 businesses burned in an urban conflagration, not even a wildfire into the interface. It was just right in the middle of, of, our, of our city. And uh, same, you know, same approach to this incident is it, you know, it evolved so quickly. Um, we were we were struggling to catch up in terms of the 
the incident command structure, but as we were able to settle in and get state resources for an IMT to come in, again, immediately plugged into the organizational chart a, uh, a psychological fitness component. And I gotta say, and I can't, I can't overstate the appreciation for the work the IAFF has done in this particular area in supporting professional firefighters, um, dispatchers, et cetera, they had people here in 24 to 36 hours after the fire was out. Uh, I, I mean, just absolutely remarkable to help provide support to the devastation that was caused by these wildfires. Uh, definitely impacted uh, the, the community, the organization, firefighters, you know, uh, attacking fires while their homes are either are either burning or unknown, you know, what's going on at their own house. Like that's, that's, that's heavy. Um, and something the state of Oregon did, which was also remarkable, the incident commander uh, allocated task force resource for a moment of time to just let the, the, the fire district five, the most impacted fire districts, firefighters to just have a reprieve. Like there, there wasn't a lot of firefighters going on, you know, available in the state. Uh, there was a lot of fire going on in, in, in Oregon at the time, still a lot of fire today as we're talking about this in California. But the fact that there was a priority to say, you don't have to come right back to work. Like you need to take that second if you need that, that second. And it's different for all the individuals. But the fact that we were able to put in 2020 during a large scale disaster, a priority on the, the mental health and fitness, I feel like, you know, we've come a long, long way since you and I've been in this business. Yeah. And the, uh... Maybe that's where we leave this, Bob. We've come a long way, but we still got a ways to go. And that's it. Thank you so much for joining us on Assuming Command, this special edition, an adaptation of a conference presentation where Jeff Buchanan and I talked about the development of peer support programs in the fire service. This is part one of a three-part series where we are going to be speaking around the topic of mental wellness. Join us for the next two episodes where we'll be speaking with uh, professionals in the industry of mental wellness, where they see us at and where they see us going. So grateful to have you. Be sure to click subscribe and become a regular listener to us here at Assuming Command. Take care. You have been listening to Assuming Command with Bob Horton. This podcast is brought to you by Upstream ABI, your advisor on applying behavioral insights to improve your organization's impact. Visit us at www.upstreamabi.com for more details on how we can help you.